everyone. My name is Jonathan Fries, and you are listening to What the Fuck, where we talk about topics that have caused so much damage people don't come to church anymore. I'm the senior pastor of Music of Life Church Appleton, and I'm joined by the senior pastor of Music of Life Church Kimberly, Pastor Joel Swakowski. Pastor Joel. Yeah, Pastor Joel. Pastor Joel. Pastor Wait, I should Joel. be saying it too. <laughs> How you doing, Pastor Joel? You sucked me right in. I'm great. I'm great. How are you? I am excited. Is this the season finale? Season finale, season five. Season five, episode 15. We are wrapping it up with God's Will, part five, prophecy. Prophecy. All right. Oh, baby. Now this is a whopper. It sure is. So hang on, everybody. What is the background for this topic, Pastor Joel? Well, one more disclaimer before I dig into the background. This is part five of five of the series on God's will in season five. It took everything we've taught up to this point to be able to teach about God's will decently and in order for the benefit of you out there listening. If you haven't listened to seasons one through four and all 14 episodes of season five, we implore you to do so. Hey, why are you still listening? <laughs> Wait, now do I get to I do hope my... it's because you have done what we've implored you to Yay, do. Yay. Good for you. Way to listen to all those other episodes. Yay. You did it. I, I, I'm we're, we're, we're shocked that you've made it this far. Yeah. That's so great. great. For, you still with us. Yeah. For all of you who haven't. Hey, we are uh, going for a ride today. That's for sure. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed that you're listening. (laughs) Just disappointed. That's worse. (laughs) Wait a minute. That's worse. That's worse, dad. I mean, Jonathan. Yeah. (laughs) Stop. But if you're okay, but if you're if you're with us, let's go. Yeah. Let's go for the ride. So. Some reminders, God's plan is to hang out with and fellowship with the righteous bride for eternity. God's will is the manner in which he accomplishes his plan. We have seen that God works through individuals, through groups of people, ultimately through church and marriage in order to accomplish his plan. We've seen that God makes his decisions through council meetings. We've seen God accomplishes everything he does with a dissolve approach. And we've seen that God has objective measures for whether what you are experiencing is an attack from the enemy or correction from him, God. Now we're going to end this series and this season with the most complex topic related to God's will, prophecy. So really, the background of this is it's the most complex topic. Excellent. Excellent. Now let's go. How have people been hurt by the most complex (laughs) topic in the church? How has the most complex topic caused disunity, Pastor Joel? Well, this is where all the issues and conflicts with God's will collide. Oh, amazing. Yeah. the, The correct perspective regarding prophecy 
proves to us what God values and proves to us how he operates. Amazing. So what does this conflict look like in the church? We have a strict side. We have a loose side. Let's start with the strict side, Pastor Joel. Well, the strict side would see prophecy is an important puzzle that must and can be figured out exactly ahead of time. So really, the strict side sees prophecy as something, what it's really about, what prophecy is really about, is predicting the future exactly right. Okay. So that's kind of their definition of prophecy. It predicts the future exactly right. And that, yeah, not only does it do that, that's the purpose of it too. Oh, okay. So how do people support that perspective with the Bible? Well. More than a quarter of the Bible is made up of predictive prophecy. Yeah. The strict side believes if we're going to know the whole counsel of God, which it says we should in Acts 20, 27, and if we're going to be committed to understanding the whole counsel of God, we should definitely study God's prophetic plan for the ages. And if you want to understand what is exactly going to happen, Prophecy is the only answer. Notice, like most topics in the strict side, this puts the primary emphasis on what the Bible says and often ignores the how and why or God's interpretation of what is said. So how would you handle an interaction with someone who held this perspective? Well, I'd ask a question. That's how I'd started. I'd say, do you think the purpose of prophecy is to know exactly what is going to happen? Now, we've covered this concept in the mystery versus puzzle episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That showed us that we can't know specifically what and how things are going to happen until they happen because God's will is not a puzzle. God's will is a mystery. We need all the information and the right information in order to understand God's will. And the reality is, until something happens, there's always a piece of information we don't have. Until anything happens, Hmm. that thing happening is a piece of information we don't have until it happens. Nice. Well, I'd also want to cover these two passages. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 says this. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So prophecy comes from God, not man, right? It's part of God's will. And Mark 13, 32 says this, but of that day or that hour knoweth no one, not even the angels in heaven, neither the son, but the father. So again, I'd use these verses and I'd ask, you know, what's the purpose? What is the purpose of prophecy? That's really where I'd want to do is not just, let's not just talk about what 
these prophetic scriptures are and whether or not they happened. Let's talk about why does God give prophecy to us? And I think that's going to help flush out the discussion with the person on the strict side. Okay. So the strict perspective is a person who believes that the importance of prophecy is to know exactly what is supposed to happen. Yeah. They're looking at that, the facts, this thing at this time, exactly this way. Right. Okay. So they believe that we can exactly say what is going to happen down to identifying a date because they think it's a puzzle. Right. So like when someone puts out a billboard that says Jesus is coming on this date. That would be a, a very, very good yet extreme but good example of what somebody is on the strict side yeah okay so that's a very that is a very extreme and strict example yeah awesome which we like those extreme examples because the extreme ones often flush out what's you know the the belief behind that person yeah it kind of flushes out that contradiction right yeah it does of of the people on that side, you on the take the belief side. and you run it forward as fastly as you can, and and that's where. So you take this strict side perspective, you run it forward, you put the energy into it to see what the end result is of that belief, and the end result of the belief of the strict side is that oh, we can predict we can predict the future if we read what the Bible says the right way, which again, it's just, and we'll see what the purpose, what God's purpose is behind prophecy, but it is really taking this flawed understanding of what the purpose behind prophecy is. Does prophecy predict the future? Yes. Is that the purpose? Is that the reason why God gives us prophecy? No. It's not just about predicting the future. It might not be about that at all, and it's how and why. Well, before we jump into the loose perspective, why don't we take a call from McMillan, Alabama. Welcome, Pastor Tater. You are on the line, Pastor Tater. Hello, Pastor Joel and Pastor Jonathan. It is I, the effervescent, ever-ready, ever-teaching, Pastor Richard Tater. How y'all doing? Glad to be here. You know, I used to teach that prophecy proves that everything has already happened because God is in complete control. However, now I realize that if God makes it happen, why does he need to prove that to us? Oh, that is a really good point. Wait, how was your trip to your old church in Texas? Oh, it was wonderful. They treated me and Lucy fabulously. They even offered me the position of senior pastor. (gasps) Are you going to take it? (laughs) Well, the affirmations were definitely healing and they showed me a lot of kindness, uh, but ultimately it it didn't mean anything. You know, I I value God's plan for churches. Besides, I saw how rigid they were and I didn't want to go back to being that prideful me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Things are going so well here, gentlemen. So you're happy with being pastor of the church in McMillan? 
<laughs> yeah, well, well uh, I, I'm no longer the pastor. <laughs> oh, what happened, Pastor Tater? Well, I, I, I'm an apostle, Pastor Jonathan. You don't tell me that. You know, I do appreciate y'all's counsel. I identified Pastor Rich as the pastor. <laughs> Lulu, come on, the phone, girl. Come on now. Uh, it, it, well, uh, yeah. When, when, when Lulu heard, she was ecstatic. <laughs> you know, what? Say what now? You want to? Oh, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> did did he hang up? Why did, why did he do that? <laughs> well, I I think uh well why don't why don't we why don't we talk about that during the Music of Life Church podcast, Pastor Joel? Okay. Well, it looks like Pastor Tater, I mean Apostle Tater yeah. is doing pretty, pretty, pretty good, Pastor Joel. Well, it's clear his old church looks up to him. He's embraced being an apostle. He's repaired his relationship with Pastor Rich. Mrs. Tater, I mean, Lucy, is happy the family's back together. And there's a lot of laughing and giggling. With, oh, I get it. They were. What is the other side of the argument, Pastor Joel? The other side of the argument. Prophecy is allegory. It's figurative. It's just word pictures. You can interpret it however you want. Let's not get distracted from the practical. You can just ignore the prophecy. And how have people been hurt by that perspective? Well, people aren't receiving the benefit from prophecy. Again, understanding what God values and how he operates, his plan and his will. Hmm. How would you handle an interaction with someone who held the loose perspective? Any of the unconscious confrontations from the previous episodes in this mini-series apply. Because they all come together in this topic. So, for instance, what if it is possible to know God's will? If you were hindering God's will and headed for the lake of fire, would you want to know? Do you want to be transformed? Do you think you are helping this person? Why do you try to help anyone? Would you want to know if you are on the wrong side of God? Wow, why do all of those work? Well, we'll see in the ultimate answer how because of of the purpose behind prophecy, the implication is anything you discuss on the loose side of the argument as it relates to God's will can be applied to this topic because everything we've covered so far is required to understand prophecy at the level God would want us to. Well, then before we get into the ultimate answer. I would like to know when you see this going on in the church, Pastor Joel, the loose side, the strict side, as it relates to prophecy, what are your thoughts? I see three groups of people. 
There's the group that I have compassion on. These are people I feel sorry for. These are people who think prophecy is figurative, allegorical, that you can just interpret however you want. These people are missing out on the benefit of knowing God's plan and knowing God's will. There's the people I understand why they do what they do. These are people who know prophecy is important, but they think the purpose is to figure it out exactly. These tend to be the people that when they become believers, really quickly want to jump to let's study Revelation, the book of Revelation. I want to understand that. I want to, I want to figure out how everything's going to work in the end times. Not a bad thing in and of itself, but it's not about figuring out prophecy exactly. That's not the point even of the book of Revelation. So these people try to figure it out in their own strength with their own understanding. Mm. And they're so convinced ahead of time. And then they are quick to move on when they're proven wrong. And they hurt others by distracting them. That's why I've actually heard pastors, and now I understand why, encourage people, especially new believers, to not focus so much on the end times of the church. which. I get now if the purpose behind that is let's help people be rooted and grounded in the foundation of what it means to be a follower of Christ. If we aren't handling prophecy a quarter of the Bible the right way, it can be distracting. And then there's a group of people I'm impressed with. These are people that know prophecy is important and they don't get distracted by it. Nice. So what's the ultimate answer for prophecy, Pastor Joel? And now we go for our ride. Let's go. Prophecy confirms God's will and God's plan. So notice what prophecy is really about. It brings confirmation. It builds our faith. So we said prophecy reveals what God values and how he operates. What does God value? Growth. Husbanding. We saw this through the Jehovah's Story episode and and also through the earlier God's Will episodes. Mm -hmm. That his plan is the fellowship with the bride for eternity. Being a consistent source of growing us. Because he can't grow himself. Hmm. Prophecy reveals this to us. And also, how does God operate in response to justice? Prophecy reveals this to us as well. When we understand it the right way. And we will go through a handful of examples here to really flush this out. But God's true prophets revealed his will to the people. God doesn't do anything without sharing it with his prophets. We saw this in the council meeting episode. Amos 3.7 says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. So the biggest value of prophecy to people is to get us to express our will and to give us time to repent. So think about it. How much prophecy is really a warning? Oh, nice. Which again, goes back to showing what does God value? He values our growth. He values helping us grow. Yeah. 
if you do this thing, this bad thing's going to happen. So much prophecy was a, was a warning. So here's the two biggest things to realize about prophecy. One, prophecy is a statement of the effects that will happen if current causes stay the same. Notice, the principle of causality is at the root of understanding prophecy and how it works. Hmm. And number two, prophecy is a statement of the decisions God will make when it is his turn to respond. Hmm. Which again, that shows how does God operate in response to justice. Nice. So let's look at some examples of prophecy from the word. Feel free to open up your Bibles along with me. Press pause if you need to. Hezekiah, great king of Judah, 2 Kings chapter 20. Starting with verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith Jehovah, set thy house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. So here we see the story set up. Hezekiah was going to die that day or very soon. Isaiah told him that God said he shall die and not live. God did not say Hezekiah maybe would die. So here's prophecy. Here's a predictive prophecy. You will die. The causes are in place for the effect of Hezekiah's death to happen very soon. Soon enough, you need to get your house in order. Verses 2 and 3. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto Jehovah, saying, now this is Hezekiah praying. Remember now, O Jehovah, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. So Hezekiah prays. He asked God to remember how he lived. Hezekiah prayed this in response to Isaiah's pronouncement of death. Clearly, Hezekiah's plan was to continue to live. Key point here, Hezekiah was righteous. Yep. The sickness was not a judgment from God that Hezekiah wanted to be released from. Verse 4. It came to pass, before Isaiah was gone out into the middle part of the city, that the word of Jehovah came to him, saying. So pause in here before he starts before Jehovah starts saying to Isaiah, before he was out of the middle court. So Hezekiah, you know, Isaiah is going home. He's pronounced this word to Hezekiah. He's on his way home. Did his job, before, right? Yeah, he did his job. But before he could, before he's out of the middle court, I imagine that like before he's out of the driveway. Uh-huh. He hasn't even backed out of the driveway yet. And God's <laughs> like, Hezekiah, go back, go back. Here's a word for you. Verses five and six are what Jehovah said to Isaiah. He says, turn back and say to Hezekiah, the prince of my people, thus says Jehovah, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day, thou shalt go up unto the house of Jehovah, and I will add unto thy days 15 years, and I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. 
in response to Hezekiah's prayer through justice, God said he would heal Hezekiah and add 15 years to his life. The result, if you keep reading the story, you see Hezekiah actually did live 15 more years. That point proved Hezekiah was going to die very soon after the original word was given in verse one. Nice. God wasn't speaking of the final death that Hezekiah would eventually experience, as all men do. God was speaking specifically of Hezekiah dying very soon. Now, to say that God had always planned on healing Hezekiah and adding 15 years to his life is actually saying that God lied. Because again, in verse 1, God said, thou shalt die and not live. (laughs) If God knew ahead of time that he wouldn't die and that he would live, that is a lie. Nice. Yeah. Then God said he would add 15 years. Even that word add 15 years is important. Hezekiah did live 15 more years, additional years, adding on to the life that was going to end from this sickness. Nice. They're extra years. <laughs> I love it. It's almost like, yeah, it's just that we were going to be debating over this passage. God, I mean, who's always right and just specifically said something in a perfect fashion. Oh, very much. Incredibly specific and detailed are those words. And you you thank you for that. You read the story and it just feels like a story, but there is so much doctrine about how God operates within this. Uh, Even you shall die and not live. Wow. That is very specific. That's the contrastive, right? (laughs) You shall die and not live. Right. There's no misunderstanding that. Nice. Or there shouldn't be. So the only explanation that's non-contradictory with the rest of God's word was that Hezekiah's prayer and Hezekiah's righteousness, his reward, his spiritual value, caused God to move and to heal Hezekiah. And that God did not know everything that would happen down to the minute detail ahead of time. The future has not already happened. God knows all the causes that exist and their effects. God does not know the causes that do not yet exist. At the beginning of the story, the cause that existed was that Hezekiah's sickness would result in his death. Hezekiah's prayer added a new cause to the story. So theologians can't explain this story. I have experience of this in college myself. In my early years in seminary, I had a debate with one of my professors over this topic. It's either these theologians believe God has everything figured out ahead of time, or they just don't understand the doctrines of prayer and prophecy well enough to interpret the story the right way. Hmm. So what was it, theologians? God lied? Or God doesn't have everything exactly figured out ahead of time? You have a contradiction, check your premises. It's either one or the other. Furthermore, Jesus called Isaiah a prophet. And Isaiah is a prophet that prophesied something that didn't happen. Jesus endorsed this guy who prophesied something that didn't happen. Why? Prophecy is a statement of the effects that will happen if current causes stay the same. Doesn't mean Isaiah was wrong. It surely doesn't mean God was wrong. It means the causes changed. 
Amazing. Another story. Jonah. We covered him and his book and really Nineveh's response to the prophecy in the last episode. Mm -hmm. Let's look at Jonah chapter three, the first few verses. And the word of Jehovah came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, the great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So for the second time, God told Jonah, go there, preach this message. Verse 3, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of Jehovah. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Hear that, everybody? Forty days in this city will be overthrown, not might, shall be. Yep. Now you can keep reading if you want to keep going. Press pause if you need to. Read the story. It's a great one. But we see the Ninevites were repentant and God saw their works and repented of the evil he was going to do to them. It appeared that Nineveh's response was to do the opposite of the causes of Sodom's judgment. Mm -hmm. And this caused God to not follow through on what was prophesied through Jonah. So here's a note again. Jesus called Jonah a prophet and what Jonah said didn't happen. Wait a minute, another one? Is Jesus endorsing false prophets? Why didn't Jonah's prophecy happen? Well, again, prophecy is a statement of the effects that will happen if current causes stay the same. So with Nineveh, if they wouldn't have changed their actions. So destruction is the effect, right? Right. And if they were to continue on the path that they're on, doing the same thing causes, then they would be destroyed. Right. However, they repented. They did. So they did, they did different causes. They yeah. did the opposite causes of destruction. Yeah. And that's, you remember, even when the king proclaims what he proclaimed to the people in Nineveh. Yep. He even gave his reasons like, who knows? Maybe God will change his mind. <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's do it. Yeah. Maybe he'll be merciful to us. And he was. Awesome. So they changed the causes of how they're living. And then the effect changed. Yeah. Again, it doesn't mean Jonah was wrong. It means the causes changed. Nice. Cool. Another story. Moses. From Numbers chapter 14. Verses 11 through 20. Press pause, open your Bible, read it if you want. I'm going to do a paraphrase, a summary of these chunks of verses. So, for instance, verses 11 and 12, what we see is God wanted to wipe out the Israelites and make a greater nation out of Moses. God told this to Moses. Take some time to think about the severity of this proposition. God was going to disinherit Israel and start over through Moses. Hmm. Furthermore, this was not the first time God made this offer to Moses. God offered Moses something similar back in <laughs> Exodus chapter 32. Dang! <laughs> yeah. We think Moses was a compassionate and a caring yeah, dude. prophet yet. Like, what an amazing, amazing leader. 
Yeah, just think about it like your family. Children of Israel. Israel. Yeah, it is. It's like, think about with your church family, with your family. God goes, I'm going to wipe them out and start over with you. How's that? Right. Oh. And it's like, what's cool is it shows, man, Jehovah was really open, honest, and truthful with, with Moses. And Moses was strong enough to bear the pain of Jehovah. Wow. But then if you look at verses 13 through 19, again, we're in Numbers chapter 14. You see Moses' intercession. So God makes this proposition. Moses appeals to God by showing God how this proposition would affect how other nations viewed Jehovah as the God of Israel. Mm. Verses 17 through 19, Moses asked God to pardon the people, appealed to God by showing him that God's mercy would be a testimony to other nations. Really, what we see in verses 17 through 19 is Moses wanted God to change his mind. Hmm. Verse 20, I'm reading this one explicitly. And Jehovah said, I have pardoned according to your word. Amazing. (laughs) God changed his mind. He did in the Exodus 32 story as well. Really, Moses changed God's mind. It is said, God pardoned the people because of Moses' word. If God had planned this the whole time, he would have been lying when he told Moses' plan to wipe out the Israelites. Because God would have known that he was going to change his mind, which really means God never would have changed his mind in the first place. Hmm. So God stated his will. Moses changed God's will. Because Moses had value. So, question. Could Moses change God's mind in every situation? Hmm. Well, let's see. Told you we're going for a ride here. Oh, it's amazing, dude. Yeah, yeah. This is this is here's another story for you. Yep. This one is re this one is involving Moses and Samuel. And it's in the book of Jeremiah, verse chapter 15, verse 1. Then said Jehovah unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind would not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. So God told Jeremiah that even if Moses and Samuel stood before God, his mind would still not be toward the people. This is about the captivity. Yeah. So what God's saying is Moses and Samuel could not have stopped God making the decision of the captivity. Hmm. Well, we saw Moses did change God's mind in Numbers chapter 14. We saw Hezekiah was able to request something God did not want to do in 2 Kings 20. Now we see a case where someone who was at one point able to change God's mind would not be able to change God's mind. The only explanation that was consistent with the rest of the Bible was that Moses had enough spiritual value to change God's mind in the previous example in Numbers 14. However, here Moses and Samuel did not have enough spiritual value to change God's mind in the situation being covered in the book of Jeremiah, the coming captivity. Mm -hmm. 
So verses two through four, again, Jeremiah 15, this gave the reason for the captivity. The captivity would happen because of Manasseh and the things he did in Jerusalem. This was why God would have wanted Hezekiah to die in the earlier example in 2 Kings 20. Hezekiah had enough spiritual value to extend his life 15 years, which led to Manasseh being born. Manasseh started, Manasseh, Hezekiah's son, started reigning at 12, meaning he wasn't born yet when Hezekiah was healed and added 15 years to his life. Unbelievable. (laughs) So God tried to help his people avoid the circumstances that they found themselves in. If God had predestined Hezekiah to make the wrong decision, then really it's God's fault and it would be unjust of him to punish Judah and to send them into captivity for something he says Manasseh did. Yeah. So here's a summary. God said Moses and Samuel couldn't change his mind in this situation. This shows that it was about the spiritual value these people had. And God said Moses and Samuel wouldn't have had enough to stop the captivity. So we know, how does God operate? He moves in response to justice. Depending on the situation, there will be greater or lesser amounts of value for God to move. couple more. And you notice how each one of these stories kind of flushes out another aspect of how this all works. Yep, exactly. Because now we introduce spiritual value now. Yeah. And it was the before... So now, so what we've covered is we've had God the doesn't causes. know the future, right? Yeah, yep. and the causes not, not down to the exact detail, exactly, and the effects of what's going to yep. happen can change if the causes change. Right. Yep. We saw that with Hezekiah. We saw that with Nineveh. We saw how Moses's own righteousness was in his. It was his word that changed God's mind, and we also saw that that doesn't work in every situation. Yeah, so it's, yeah, the amount of spiritual value that we have determines being able to change God's mind or not. Right. Yeah, okay. Well, here's another one that flushes out that same point. So let's add on to the whole Samuel and Moses by talking about Job, Noah, and Daniel. If you look at Ezekiel 14, verses 12 through 14, it says this, And the word of Jehovah came unto me, saying, Son of man, when a land sinneth against me by committing a trespass, and I stretch out my hand upon it, and break the staff of the bread thereof, and send famine upon it, and cut off from it man and beast, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord. So here we see a similar situation with another specific detail that adds another variable. So we see even though Noah, Daniel, and Job would, we see even these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job would have only been able to save their own souls by their righteousness. So that's like saying, that's like saying if all of these three men came together and they said, like what Moses said to God, change Please do not send these people into captivity and right. together in a prayer circle. No famine, please, no judgment. Yeah. God's saying, no, it's going to happen. Yeah. 
He said, even if they did, the only thing that their righteousness would cover is their own souls. Oh, that is bad. Or it's like, you know, and I think what we know about prayer, God would have been like, if this happened, he would have been like, okay, guys, this is going to be the result of your prayer. It's only going to, like, you three will be alive. The judgment's still going on everybody else. Now, what's interesting, these three men all dealt with adversity that they did not cause. These men had a lot of spiritual value. Yeah. And that's why Ezekiel or why God is using these three as an example, essentially to kind of emphasize the severity of the judgment coming is even these three guys who you all know had a ton of spiritual value would have only been able to save themselves. Oh, man. Yeah, in the in similar times, right? Noah, the last righteous person, Daniel, you know, Daniel As and a teenager being yeah, pulled into Babylon and in Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar and Job, Job has everything being wiped out. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, no, heroes. Job, the what's the the main adjective people have as it results to Job is suffer the suffering Job, right? Yep, the patience of Job. Yeah. So if you look at verses 15 through 20. I'm just going to summarize it here. What you see is Noah, Daniel, and Job would not have been able to save even their own children. So circumstances were so bad that the three Old Testament people with the most spiritual value would not have been able to change God's mind and would have only had enough spiritual value to save themselves. But what this does is it really shows clearly there are varying degrees of spiritual value. It's not just, do you have spiritual value? It's how much in order for, and there's again, really great example of, you know, even talking about they wouldn't have been able to save their own children. There is, depending on what God is moving for or against, it takes certain amount of value to be able to, you know, make God move in a certain way. It's, it's amazing. Just, just pausing for a sec that these Two verses, in, you know, in Jeremiah 15, God uses Moses and Samuel as an example. Yeah. Even if those two. So it's possible that in Jeremiah 15, you know, if Noah, Daniel, and Job were referenced, they together might have had yeah. enough spiritual value to change or what, or adding one of those people in there right. where it's so, all, yeah. it's, it's all these numbers. This is, again, this is what makes Jehovah so amazing all the things he's counting counting he is he and how and exactly how everyone has the amount of value that it would take to make yeah so even like it it was he chose specific people in these examples to these prophets to emphasize a certain point he couldn't just use Noah Daniel and Job because they're heroes of the bible Mm. use them because of a specific amount of value they had yeah likewise to your point moses and samuel served a different purpose in a different story man incredible and what's interesting some people actually argue against against this but all three of these men actually existed people argue against noah and large most people are okay with daniel but it is very, very common for people to not believe Job existed. And okay. to think his entire book was allegorical or poetry. I see. But they all did they all did exist. And they had the most value because they handled injustice with a good attitude. 
However, in this example from Ezekiel 14, they only had enough to save themselves by their righteousness, that by their righteousness. Mm. It was their value that allowed God to move or not move in this case. Well, let's look at Daniel. We have two more examples. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. And after the three score and two weeks shall, shall the anointed one be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood and even unto the end shall be war. Desolations are determined. Interesting thing here is Daniel did give the time period for the Messiah. Big implication here. If people in those days knew the right way to interpret scripture, they would have objectively known when Jesus arrived. And now, I'm not going to get into the details of this prophecy specifically, but I will say Daniel chapter 9 is an example of complex prophecy. Hmm. We see it as there's simple prophecy and complex prophecy. Simple prophecy was when God knew the causes that existed and simply stated the naturally resulting effects. You can see this Jesus and Peter. When he tells Peter, you will deny me. That's a prophecy. Simple. He knows the causes within Peter that are going to lead to the effect of him denying Christ. Nice. Yep. It doesn't mean the future happened already. It means Jesus knew the causes. Mm-hmm. And we see the effects didn't stay. But that's simple, right? Complex was when the causes that existed would eventually result in God having enough value through justice. And God stated his future decision of how he would respond to that value. So there's other variables in between. It's not simply this cause exists, this effect will be the result. It's saying this cause exists, and because of this cause, eventually I'll have enough value to make this decision. Got it. Which will result in this effect. Huh. So it's it's waiting, it's waiting for a, it's seemingly like waiting for the spiritual bank account to fill up, and then the decision can be made. And then I can tell you what would happen as an effect of that decision. So the time period is tough to understand because he can say the effect that's going to happen in as a result of a decision he's going to be making, but he can't necessarily tell you when that decision is going to happen because it won't happen until there's enough spiritual value to make it. Right. So I just kind of did the backwards of what this looks like. Right, right. right. So that's the difference between a simple and a complex prophecy. When we're talking Daniel chapter 9, it's one of the most complex prophecies in the entire Bible. There's a lot of variables. It's not as simple as here's a cause, here's the effect. It's here's this thing that's going to eventually happen at some point in time, which will lead me to making this decision, which will result in this effect. Mm -hmm. A lot more complex to interpret those those types of prophecies, but what we good, see good here, to have a di- good to have a diagram, good to look at is. a picture, <laughs> right? Yeah, but what we see really is God is telling Daniel what his move would be once he had enough value to respond. There you go, and then this happens in the Book of Revelation as well. The final example, 
the book of Revelation, we see all the following is revealed prophetically. We see the seals, the bowls, the tribulation, the raptures, the millennial reign, the white throne judgment, the wedding supper of the Lamb. All these things are prophetically proclaimed in this book. And these are all future events that God told the Apostle John about, things that would happen once God has enough value to respond. So once I have enough, so God goes, once I have enough value, the seals will happen, the bulls will happen, the tribulation will happen, all of these things, but he's waiting for the value. He's waiting for the spiritual value. So he's saying, here's some things that are going to happen. The reason we don't know when is because it depends on how long it takes God to get the value to move in these ways, mm-hmm. which also kind of helps us interpret the verse that talks about no one knows the time frame of when this stuff is going to happen, but the Father. So, tips for applying this topic. One, I would highly recommend listening to the mystery versus puzzle episode we did. That was season three. I would also determine the following. Are you allowing God to do his will through you? Or is God accumulating value at your expense? Hmm. You can respond by either one, continuing down the path of God's will through you, or repent. Go the opposite way you were going. Be like the king of Nineveh and the Ninevites in the Jonah story. And then get on the path of God's will through you. So we ended this series with the most complex topic related to God's will, prophecy. He wants us on the right path. That's what this is about. It's not about God predicting the future. Apostle Tater made a great point there. Why would God need to prove to us that he can, that he's in control of what's happening in the future? What benefit do we get out of that? This is not about God predicting the future. It's God correcting us or Israel and what we see a lot of the examples, or it's God bringing confirmation. Again, both of which build our faith. Confirmation affirms that you're on the right path, which is an encouragement. But even when God corrects you, God's doing it for your benefit, for your growth, and it's meant to build your faith. So we see now God's correction and bringing of confirmation is all so we can be vessels facilitating God's will and not people giving God value as an effect of our disobedience. God values your growth and you being part of his plan, his righteousness through you. We know God operates via spiritual value, his justice through you. We see God's righteousness and justice is manifest through the purpose of which he prophesies. Mm -hmm. His prophecy shows us what does God value? Your growth, you being a part of his plan, his righteousness through you, righteousness, right? God is right. How does God operate? We learn through prophecy, God operates via spiritual value, his justice through you. God is always completely righteous and always completely just. And our lives play a part in God's will. We get to determine what part that is.
Thank you, Pastor Joel. This has been What the Flock. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, if you've been hurt by church, you're not alone. We're here for you.